Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. Welcome to today's podcast. We are talking to Anas. He is the co-founder of Patchwork Health. Anas is not only a tech founder, but he's also still an A&E doctor. Jack, how are you? Very well, thank you, David. And yourself? Suffering from hay fever. Thought I was about to sneeze, I'll be perfectly honest with you. (laughs) I sounded a little bit... You're meant to lick the roof of your mouth. If you feel as though you're going to sneeze, if you go to lick the roof of your mouth, either enough, like, stops the feeling or makes you sneeze. I've I've always found it to work. If I sniff occasionally, I apologise. It's like we had no hay fever because it's just rained and rained and rained and rained. And then the sunshine has just sent pollen crazy. It's been horrific last couple of days. Well, just take some tablets for it. You'll be I have. Oh. I have. That doesn't really, you know, it's not touching the sides at the minute. It's grim. Oh, oh well. Anyway. Hey, things, things could be better. Well, well, what have you done with your weekend this weekend, Dave? Because I think it could be dust related with your spring clean. I've done a bit of spring cleaning. I had a nap yeah. on the sofa yesterday afternoon. Ugh. You know. No, that's fair enough, actually. Is it? You probably... Yeah, it's fine. It's your weekend. You do what you want. I, I was, think it I makes me sound a little this weekend, and it was, it was a very adult weekend. Like, it's fine. This is just what we do, I guess. We're boring. What kind of dog? A Great Dane six-month-old puppy. But how, he big, is like... how big is a Great Dane six-month-year-old puppy? Um, oh, well, sorry, sorry. Up... Six-month-year-old. Six months old puppy. He's up to my waist. Um, you're, you're only a short man, so I'm only a short man. So he, I'd say he's probably like four foot something high. But he, he's he's not even fully grown yet. He laid down, stretched out last night, and Rosie stretched out as well. I think I don't know how tall she is, but they were the same height, like wingspan and all sort of thing. Wow. Yeah, he's a big boy, but he's so cute and adorable and playful and well-tempered he's a lovely boy lionel was his name uh, i hope we get invited back i don't have a huge amount of experience with great danes but from the experience i've had and what i know they are gentle giants they're very soft dogs despite being huge absolutely they yeah and, and the thing the thing that was funny with lionel is that he's obviously a puppy so he's quite playful still but they get knackered out so easily so he'll have like a mad five minutes after he's done a poo or eaten or something and then he'll go crazy and then he'll just pass out Kind of like, like you, spring yeah. cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, sort of, mad five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is funny, isn't it, the way that people use their weekends to disengage with work. Love it. Know where this is going. Love this. <laughs> um, yeah, look, we'll be straight up with, with the listeners. Um, Anas, uh, the co-founder of uh, Patchwork Health, as I mentioned, he's also an A&E doctor. And at the weekends... Mm-hmm. He does a couple of shifts in A&E just to, you know, chill out. Unwind, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I should say chill out because that's not exactly what it, what, how he phrases it. He, he will phrase it a lot more eloquently than we will. Which, well, yeah. We, no, no. We, yeah. He, he does it because it allows him to switch off the monkey brain and gives him the focus. And, you know, what he is not saying is that working in A&E is a breeze. What he is saying, yeah. I think, is that it is so intense and in the moment, it allows him to filter everything else out. He calls it his therapy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he does say it's the change of gear that he needs at the end of the week, 
which yeah imagine that well, i mean yeah. we're diving too far into it we're diving too far into it it's mental anyway uh it's a brilliant interview it's really insightful chat into the mental goings on of a, of a mental co-founder as we've just suggested no he's, he's lovely mental co-founder <laughs> you know christ working a and e's one mine. um <laughs> do enjoy this i think it's fascinating and it's topical with what's going on within the nhs at the moment uh and myself and jack will have some comment afterwards today we are talking to anas you're the co-founder and ceo of patchwork health Thank you for making some time to chat. Thank you very much. On a bright but slightly chilly late April morning. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. Really good. Good to see you. Yeah. Thank you for making some time. Just before we get into anything in particular, who are Patchwork Health? So Patchwork Health is a digital platform that connects um, healthcare employers to a growing community of um, healthcare workers Mm -hmm. um, seeking flexible working opportunities. Fundamentally, from the employer's point of view, it's about plugging gaps in the roster um, and filling in whether it's short notice uh, needs or long-term vacancies, mm. um, but reducing the reliance on very expensive recruitment agencies um, and doing it so through using our product that connects to their own in-house banks. From the worker's point of view, it's about giving them more opportunities for flexible working Mm-hmm. Certainly, this is a rising trend among um, the new generation of clinicians. Why is that? Well, we're seeing a generation of clinicians who are looking for um, flexibility in their uh, work patterns. And fundamentally, that is because it's a generational issue. Um, quite a few clinicians look at their fellow um, uh, uh, their, 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 their friends and, and family who end up working in other industries, who get to work flexible hours, work remotely, Mm. um, kind of being part, whether it's a gig economy or even the full-time permanent work um, economy where there's a lot more flexibility uh, and and unlike healthcare, um, they get to uh, have a different kind of work-life balance. So quite a lot of younger clinicians are seeking something similar to that. Uh, They are still passionate about being doctors and nurses. They want to remain active in healthcare, um, but they want more flexibility in how they work and when they work. The other element is we're seeing a growing number of clinicians who are looking for portfolio careers where they get to be involved in a variety of other projects Mm -hmm. um, or other types of industries, uh, yet they do not want to give up their stethoscope. Um, So they're keen on staying active as clinicians and often find the only way they could do that is by becoming agency locums um, to be able to pick and choose their hours um, and work flexibly uh, and then still pursue the other passions. And for us, it's about trying to um, bridge the gap between the employer and the worker, giving the employer access to better workers, but also trying to give the workers um, uh, the access to flexible working options outside of agencies. So how, how, does, the, how does Patchwork actually work? I'm assuming it's a cloud-based platform that plugs into various different NHS trusts backends. One of your first clients, right, was Chelsea and Westminster? Yes, yes. So so Chelsea and Westminster is actually um, our partner. Um, We grew out of Chelsea and Westminster early days. Um, And we now work with um, eight NHS trusts and about to launch in a few more in the next couple of months. Um, So really the way the system works is there's two sides to the product. There's a mobile app for Mm -hmm. clinicians that they can download from the uh, App Store or Google Play Store and create a 
profile for themselves, uh, kind of like a digital passport uh, that enables them to join NHS banks. Uh, and by banks, we mean basically these are in-house um, HR services that um, that 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 uh, 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 you know coordinate um, temporary shifts. Um, so so the app enables them to join these banks, and once they've joined a specific bank, they'll be able to find and book shifts on demand, um, sign off their timesheets for payment, mm-hmm. um, and and manage their entire flexible working through the app. Um, yes, our, as you said, our system is connected to backend systems in the NHS, whether it's rostering systems or payroll systems um, to enable um, that work to happen. From the employer side, um, there is a cloud-based um, employer's hub. Mm-hmm. Um, it enables um, NHS organizations or any really any healthcare organization to post all their vacancies on the hub, uh, but also to manage quite a lot of workflows that often are um, slow and tedious and paper-based, uh, automating as much of those as possible, uh, streamlining uh, some of these processes, bringing some financial controls on how um, these shifts are being managed, um, and reducing just the overall admin burden of running um, these, these NHS staff banks. Your background is that what you are Canadian, French Canadian? No, no, Canadian. Just Canadian. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Sorry, I, I'm never entirely <laughs> sure with with Canadian accents whether or not I'll step my foot in it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so you're Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you studied in Canada and in the UK yes. at Imperial over here. Yes. Medicine is you described it before we hit record, kind of like your third profession. So patchwork is my third profession. Pro- patchwork is your third yeah. profession. Medicine is your second profession. My second profession. Cool. So that mentality of someone who wears a number of different hats and yeah. wants to try different professions fits you yes. quite neatly. Yes. And I suppose that personal perspective is what gave rise to the business. I, I'm just intrigued in that kind of oh, absolutely. from that, from so, that kind of so, personal story. So 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 the, my journey to patchwork is actually two two you know, two things kind of connected right. that, that got me to patchwork. The first one is absolutely what you described. I am, in many ways, uh, um, you know, patchwork is, is selfishly serving my my, my uh, 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 personal interest in remaining actively uh, working as a clinician and a doctor while pursuing other interests. I don't think there's, that's anything wrong about that. Oh, there's nothing found, wrong about that. And if anything, <laughs> it, it allows me to be a user in all my own platform. So I book yeah. all my shifts using my own platform. So right. I'm, 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 Get get to 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 test new features myself and give feedback to my product team. Hey, but look, that's that's uh, a really that's that's yeah interesting because the amount of businesses that you go to and they have some they have some products and someone turns around and goes, well, have you tried to use it yourself? And then they discover it's a pig's ear of a process. Absolutely, absolutely. So 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 I I kind of use it for the same reason many doctors use it right. to to work flexibly while pursuing other passions. My passion happened to be running patchwork. Um, others might have other interesting projects. So absolutely, it it, it kind of comes out of personal need and personal frustration trying to um, manage uh, uh, a life where I can have a portfolio uh, clinical career. Um, the other kind of uh, serendipitous moment that got me into, into building patchwork is while I was working at Chelsea, um, I was a clinical innovation fellow. And in my role, I was meant to look at um, temporary staffing spend and mm. medical agency spend um, as one of my innovation projects. And at that point, it was not a digital innovation project. It was just simply looking at how we can improve our processes and, uh, uh, and our recruitment uh, efforts. And halfway through that project, I realized that there is a limitation to what we're trying to do and that um, technology could enable us to do what we're trying to do at scale and more efficiently. So I kind of got to see it from both sides of the equation. I got to experience the frustrations of working as a flexible worker from the NHS um, as a doctor, 
but I also get to experience it as someone who is managing or co-managing the staff bank, um, the medical staff bank, uh, while I was at Chelsea and looking at how we can improve how we recruit and employ flexible workers. So that is when I made that connection and, 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 and um, spoke to my co-founder and I said, let's just build something together to solve this problem. At that point, we look at the market. The market didn't have much to answer um, mm. that problem. Now we're aware there's other, of course, uh, uh, similar uh, companies trying to solve the problem um, slightly from different angles, but but trying to solve it using uh, technology. Um, but at that point, back in 2015, 2016, that was not there yet. So I spoke to my co-founder and I went back to Chelsea's executive team. I said, let's do something together. Let's build something to solve your problem and pretty much a similar problem across the NHS. Um, and I got a very exciting, uh, supportive executive team from Chelsea. Would you describe yourselves as a, as a startup or a growth up? Uh, a scale-up, probably. Scale-up. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it tends to be all-consuming, right? Yes. But you still do one shift, or is it one shift or two one shifts? Shifts. One, one shift, shift a, a week, week, yeah. Kind of on a Friday or a Saturday as an A&E doctor. Yeah, yeah. Which in itself is an all-consuming activity. Yeah. Do you think, just be interested in your mentality, how, how helpful do you find that as a, as a co-founder yeah. of a growing business, which in itself is pretty relentless? Yeah. So my shifts usually are on a weekend. You're very right. It's quite a demanding job to work as an A&E doctor. But for me, it's a change of gear that I need uh, at the end of a week. So I spend most of my week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., just thinking about past decisions and future decisions I have to make for the business. And often on a daily basis, we're making very difficult and, and, and important decisions that often I um, am not uh, as, as present in the moment as I'd like to be. Um, whereas working in a as a doctor, it is a great opportunity to just shut down that monkey brain uh, thinking about the past and the future and focusing uh, in the moment with the patient, um, trying to understand the problem, trying to um, provide some help as much as possible. Um, and that, uh, in many ways, is therapeutic for me. So I escape um, the uh, I escape I escape the, the the kind of messy life of of uh, founder CEO of a startup uh, into a more quieter life of any doctor, and that says a lot about about the life of of, of founders uh, in, in 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 a nutshell. When any becomes an escape, then then that, that says a lot. But the on the on the flip side, the other reason why I do enjoy working in any is because it keeps me kind of close to the problem, close to the NHS as an employer, um, close to the patients that all of us are trying to serve one way or another. Um, so staying in, 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 you know, on the front line with the clinicians, with the service providers, um, I think enables me to continuously remember why we're doing this and, and keep the focus of, of, of the mission of patchwork. Um, and, and, and I think keeping my hands in medicine is a key part of that. One thing I'd be interested to kind of get your insight on how you see this, I hate the word ecosystem, but let's use it because it's probably the most effective one, but this ecosystem of, of, of medical uh, technologies that are being brought to market by doctors yeah. affecting the NHS longer term. Because if, if I think about enterprise businesses, mm. they were often quite risk averse. They keep their environments locked down, but increasingly their users would bring new technology into an organization. They'd have to find workarounds and actually be quite open to these new technologies. I have this image in my head of NHS trusts and, and, and the NHS in general being 
poss possibly quite averse to some of this change. Obviously, you have NH NHS Digital and NHS England centrally who kind of are saying, yep, there, there are apps here that we kind of endorse. But with you, with Ford Health, with Babylon, you've got a huge amount of ex-doctors or current doctors bringing these products to market. And you're going to end up with this kind of portfolio of different services that a trust could invest in. And it could be quite a messy kind of environment to mm. work out how we piece this all together to provide a service to our, to our patients at the end of yeah. the day. So that's a very good question. And I think um, you know, your perception of the NHS is not far from reality from a historic point of view. However, I think over the past decade or so, there's been a quiet revolution happening within the NHS where um, the, the, the merits of, of disruptive technologies are becoming uh, uh, more visible and changes from the grassroots and from the uh, top down has, has been noticeable. So whether it is... Um, you know, accelerator programs that are being sponsored by the NHS, whether it is the digital clinician, the, the clinician entrepreneur program um, that's also sponsored by the NHS um, and led by Tony Young, um, whether it is uh, Matt Hancock's uh, repeatedly emphasizing on the importance mm -hmm. of technology in um, transforming our services. I think we're seeing both from the grassroots and uh, from the senior leadership um, renewed attention um, and, and emphasis on new disruptive technologies. And I think um, the difference in the past 10 years compared to 20 years ago, is the NHS is starting to look at startups and SMEs for these solutions. Historically, tends to be the big incumbent players, you know, multi-billion pound uh, software houses producing um, electronic patient records or HR systems or yeah. uh, whatever it is. Whereas, um, you know, they, they still have a very important place to play in the market. I think the NHS is realizing that innovation from within, from the grassroots that often comes with startups and SMEs, um, often tend to address the problem with the empathy factor in mind. Because having doctors and nurses and physiotherapists um, building these solutions often allows the NHS to um, uh, um, buy products that have been built by the user with the user in mind and often co-produced with the user in mind and with other users in mind. Um, there's that culture right now in... in, in um, medtech startups and digital health SMEs in the UK, where quite often they always start working with the user, whether that being mm -hmm. a patient or a doctor, um, or often they are a patient or a doctor themselves. Um, and that often results in products that are more fit for purpose, uh, potentially more scalable because they are more, um, uh, they've addressed the problem and asked the right questions and address the problem uh, at its heart. Um, where the challenge remains, is scaling these businesses. Yep. So often you'd hear most um, digital health startups have managed to secure a few pilots, have demonstrated the value, um, and have shown the real impact it could have on, on, on the clinician or the patient's uh, life. However, um, moving it from a product that's been used by two or three trusts or two or three organizations into something that's been used across the system um, is still a big challenge. And I think there's still that culture of pilots and pilots and repeated pilots in the NHS that needs to be uh, uh, evolved from um, validation into uh, wider adoption. And then there's the issue of, um, as you described earlier, a large ecosystem of products that might not all be uh, of equal value and quality. So it's about how can we enable both um, SMEs to scale uh, at pace and NHS buyers 
being anxious organizations to be able to separate um, the signal from the noise in the markets and being able to identify the products that truly um, make a difference versus the ones who are probably not validated yet. How much time do you spend talking to, to the other startups in the space? Because yes, you have a technical, you have kind of a partial technical background. You know yeah. how to code several different languages. Uh, and if I think of Ford Health again, um, Barney, their co-founder, he has a technical background, but then there are what, eight or so other clinicians. Yeah, yeah. Babylon have that mix. But a lot of you are kind of ex-clinicians or current clinicians building technology organizations. So I suppose that support network might be a, a real positive thing for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, so so most of us kind of, it's a small world, um, the world of digital health or doctors in digital health. Uh, I think they call us doctorpreneurs. Um, <laughs> it's a small world. Um, and and we interact quite a lot, um, sometimes within accelerated programs um, and, 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 and often just, just meeting up um, for a cup of coffee uh, once in a while, share some notes, share some frustrations, um, often try and find a shoulder to cry on. Um, but, you know, surprisingly, um, the lessons and, 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 and the successes and the mistakes are very similar across the system. So, so uh, there, is, there is definitely benefit from and that's my advice for everyone really in whatever industry you are surround yourself by a personal council of peers um, not just mentors but also peers because often peers will not only just provide you advice like mentors would on on a practical level but they will probably at least provide you the emotional um, support that you need when things are hard and you mentioned there that, that, that some of the mistakes are quite similar yeah what you know if someone is to follow you and, and to be a yeah a doctorpreneur yeah what mistakes should they avoid so, um, it's a tough one because I think there's quite a lot of things if I get to do them again, I would do them differently. I would say emphasize on building agile, mm -hmm. realizing that if you're building something the first time for the first trust or for the first buyer, that there's always going to be nuance that needs to be changed for the next buyer or the next trust. And potentially a few more iterations before you've found your, your market fit that would be suitable for the entire um, health ecosystem in the UK or even globally. So remain agile as much as possible. Um, hire, um, hire the best early on. So I know this often at the seed stage, startup is, is very cash strapped and, and often thinks that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hire whatever I can afford, but as much as possible, um, hire really good talent because mm -hmm. that is what's going to make the difference. Um, hire volunteers, not, not, not employees, people who believe in your mission, not here for the paycheck for nine to five, people who would, um, are kind of founder type personalities themselves who could have easily been a co-founder at one point um, and, and have come in for the mission um, and will work beyond the hours you expect a normal employee to work. Um, another advice, do not be stingy on equity for right. these early employees. Um, do not be stingy on equity for raise. Uh, often, um, you know, I've, I've seen founders worry about a percent here and a percent there and say no to really good deals um, and, and, and lose on the opportunity of, of scaling really fast. So, so that's kind of top points, I guess. Um, you can so, write a book about that. but <laughs> <laughs> Probably would do well. Uh, <laughs> so what's next for Patchwork, finally? So um, we are continuously growing within the NHS. We're looking at, uh, we started off serving um, doctors as mm -hmm. flexible workers. We're looking at other staff groups right now, um, such as nurses and physiotherapists and pharmacists um, in our current um, group of employers, as well as um, future uh, organizations. 
We're also working, looking to work with GP practices and GP surgeries um, who have very similar um, uh, uh, need uh, for, for flexible workers, although very different uh, ecosystems. Um, and we're looking to uh, start bringing content into our app. Um, something we haven't managed to talk about um, is our um, BMJ investment. Um, right. So at the tail end of last year, we received um, an investment from the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, which is the commercial arm of the BMA, the British Medical Association, which is a doctor's union. Um, and that investment really was um, really pleased with that. Uh, they've gone through a, a year of due diligence looking at everyone who's a player in this market um, and, and uh, decided that you know, we're the ones who were um, strategically and aligned and aligned in values with them. So we're really pleased with that. But the, some of the value we're excited about working with the BMJ is bringing some BMJ content into our app um, so that our app becomes more of a, an engagement tool with clinicians. Um, as, as a content provider yourself, you know how content brings more attention to the product. Um, so, you know, our model will be come for the content, stay for the shifts. Yeah. Amazing. Well, look, thank you for your time. Uh, I'll let you get back indoors before, before you get too chilly. But thank you for the coffee. Thank you for your time. And uh, I hope you have a, a pleasant rest of your day. Thank you very much, David. I love that he does that shift at the weekends. I yeah. love that he talks about um, turning off his monkey brain. But he, he needs that intense experience to switch off. It says a lot about starting up a business a tech business that it, mm. it it needs that level of intensity to really filter everything else out. Well, I like how he says that he's like when he's doing his job at his, his startup, he's thinking of like what he's done in the past and what he's very much got planned for the future, and like that is such a daily daily uh, thought process for him. Whereas in A and E, I imagine you're very much in the present, very much in the now. So it's kind of like that's when when you hear a phrase like that, his way of switching off the monkey brain is it. It's just basically seeing it live, I guess. And, you know, mm. he uses it as a platform to improve his own platform as well. Like, mm. you know, he's, he's getting his hands there. I mean, I suppose it's not much different than it. I mean, he codes as well. Of course he does. He's an absolute genius and could be in line to be Batman. But, um, it, but like, he, it, people code. If they're, if they're a startup founder and, and, and they've developed their app, they'll code it to, to the eyeballs. And, you know, it's his that passion that runs through, I think. Yeah, passion is, has hit the nail on the head because the, the phrase that I'd written on the, on the screen when I was taking the notes was, you know, he's still passionate about medicine. He says that. Yeah. And, and I like that he's aware that there's a generational shift. It's really mm -hmm. interesting that doctors are seeing their friends and other professions have flexibility and they want a mm -hmm. bit of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I get that you commit to medicine, it's a certain lifestyle, and, and we don't have the technology at the minute to allow you to perform remote operations. By the way, Jack... You, you are based in East London, but I can hear beautiful birdsong in the background. Like, this is not what I expected at all. I have an incredible... Hang on, I'll, I'll take a photo and I'll send it to you because I have an incredible <laughs> tree next to my balcony and it's majestic. She's gorgeous. I actually put an Instagram post up earlier about how I put my yucca out on the balcony today to get some light. Um, and the tree is in it. But yeah, I'll just send you that now. Anyway. But, you know, funnily enough, talking about you've got this lovely tree that's uh, next to where you live. Oh, it is lovely. <laughs> Very nice. People want different working environments. They, you know, we, yes. I, I, you know, let's, we're joking around, but I love being at home and having different surroundings. And that enables me sometimes to, to get the space that I need to think or to focus in on a task because I've not got the distractions of the office. 
you've got that lovely tree outside your window with bird song. <laughs> that may well help you be creative with a bid that you are writing. Um, it's, you know, it is, it's, just, it's a shift in gears. Looking. Yeah. And I think like it's when, when you work from home, or when you have the flexibility to do certain shifts and stuff, it allows you to, like I say, change gears and seek a different creative challenge or whatever. I mean, me working at home isn't the same as, you know, picking up a couple of shifts in a tropical medicine and learning about really like crazy Amazonian rainforest diseases, you know, but people are getting the chance to do that now. And yeah. They, like you said, they don't put down the stethoscope because they can flexibly just go into a different project. And, and I, I suppose my, imagine that it's making it fun yeah. for them again, you know? I suppose my inarticulate point is, um, we want that. So why the hell wouldn't doctors want that? I mean, well, I, exactly, I, know, yes. I know that it's a different kind of profession entirely and you've got to mm. commit to, to it, but they're, they're just people at the end of the day. I can understand them yep. wanting this, this idea of a portfolio career. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's only going to broaden the horizons of our, of our doctors. And that's a great thing. You know, they're going to learn more and they can actually have a work-life balance. Like, and as even mentions that, which is, I know nurses and things like that, and it'd be crazy to think that that's, they can incorporate that into their life, like yeah. something as basic as that. It's, it's wonderful. And now I find this, um, this conversation about how the NHS is evolving and mm. utilising startups really interesting. And, and mm. I've used the phrase doctorpreneur quite a few times, yeah. actually, in the last few months. Um, you know, I say that it, it was a particularly chilly April morning when we, when we recorded this podcast. In the intervening time, you know, so April, May, June, July, I have used the phrase doctorpreneur on numerous occasions because it makes sense. And it also does describe this move that allows people who are really passionate about the users um, and have that empathy factor, as, as, as yeah. Anas um, describes it, uh, to, to deliver services. And delivering services is the, is the critical thing in the NHS at the minute, given the well-reported cuts and challenges that, 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 that we're facing. Absolutely. It's, yeah. I mean, I, it, it makes me think of people like Dr. Hannah Allen with Babylon, and it also makes me think of uh, the work the public are doing. You know, it's, it, it, uh, there's, there's no better profit with purpose, purpose than to help, you know, our, our public sector. And yeah. the fact that startups are, are starting to see that incentive and, uh, and make the make the journey into into saving the public sector. It's it's fantastic, and you know, the the longer that goes on, the the better. You know, tech's augmenting every aspect of work, and you know, and it was really surprising to hear Anas say that no, that it's been on a journey for ten or so years now. Like I wouldn't have thought it it, it would have started ten years ago, and maybe that's the rate of pace that we don't see. But that was that was just a bit of a surprise to me. But yeah, the the more the merrier as far as it comes to you know startups and scale ups aiming to help public sector. I mean, look, we, we know ourselves that it's only in the last couple of years, really, that the technology has become cheap enough for new, yes. new players to come into the market and deliver quality that challenges the big incumbents who've always provided, you know, instead of having a mega outsource deal where mm. Steria or someone provides you X many different services, now you can kind of plug and play with a number of different uh, yeah. entrepreneurs. And, you know, I, I like that Anas is... is um, honest enough to say that it's a wide ecosystem and you have to separate signal from noise. Not, not yeah. all of those offerings are going to be of the same quality. And that remains the problem for the NHS. Um, and equally on, on, you know, the, the, the side of an organization like patchwork going, going from one or two, you know, from two or three trusts rather to across the system, 
that's mm. that's still a, a massive hurdle. I mean, it's great to hear that they partnered with Chelsea and Westminster initially, and they, they're now in yep. eight different trusts. But eight trusts is a fairly small pool for a tool that seems to be doing a good job across a service, a health service where getting resources in um, is a massive challenge. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, he calls it almost like a revolution for the NHS. And I remember hearing a while back, I can't remember if it was via a guest on the show or a, a meetup I was at, but he was saying how once we can break, once the NHS and, and local government can break free of the, the contracts, the legacy systems that they're in, you know, with the big Goliaths. And recruitment costs a lot of money as well, as he says, you know, people like Capita and uh, and companies like that try and bend over backs to be cheap, but it still doesn't help. You know, they can't plug and play as much when they're tied into these huge legacy contracts. And now we're seeing that rate of change happen because presumably the contracts are up and, and other players can join and, and tender for it. It's, it's an exciting time. Yeah, and it stands to reason that if doctors are moving, you know, doctors have got envious eyes towards their, their friends on a moving mm. towards a more flexible model and they want portfolio careers, then they're mm. going to be looking for those kind of solutions. And if there's a stranglehold on kind of a locum, uh, recruiter, that's that's going to block the progress towards yeah. a more flexible um, arrangement, I suppose. Um, yeah. One thing that I found really interesting was his advice around hire the best early on, and he said yeah. hire hire volunteers, not employees. Come in for yeah. the mission, work beyond the hours. Now, this is interesting because I totally agree with that. In the early days, that is exactly what you need. He, he talks about, you know, people who could have been entrepreneurs or, sorry, rather founders in, in other walks of life, but they've got that right mentality. Um, and and I, I think it's come under a little bit of attack recently about, you know, the culture piece, but it is what you need. At that early stage, that is what you need. And you do need someone who is effectively so bought into the mission, they almost feel like they could volunteer. Yeah, and you reward them with equity. Like that was his other advice. Like, don't be afraid of equity in the early stages, and, and don't be stingy. Really, yeah, exactly. That's that's how you can really expedite getting people on board. And if you get the right people, I mean, how many times have we heard? Once you get the right team in place from the get go, you know there'll be ups and there'll be downs and, and and so on. But if you're if you've got the right people, you you make it work. And it's such a common story to hear that you know you work the long hours and things like that, but. It needs reiterating a lot of the time because that's, that's an element of success. Yeah. Look, I think there's masses in there for wannabe founders, uh, would-be founders, for peers. Um, and it, it's really, like I said, that one of the things that really jumped out at me was the fact that there is some great grassroots innovation going on. Uh, mm. The people who are building these services have got that empathy factor. Um, and it allows the NHS to, to buy products that are built with the user in mind. And that's really positive that that's going on. And... Uh, Long may it continue, regardless of what may happen in the bigger political picture over the next few months. Yes, please. Cool. I think with that, that very sensible uh, analysis from us, Jack, we should go to our advert break and come back with a couple of news stories. How do you know my news stories aren't sensible? No, no, I was saying that was sensible. I mean, the next bit might not be. Okay, well, yeah, it's not sensible. Navigating the technology talent market is tough. Thankfully, Harvey Nash are on hand to help. 
a global technology recruitment company with over 30 years worth of experience, they specialise in areas such as BI and data analytics. Additionally, in June, they published their 21st Global CIO Survey, the largest technology leadership survey of its kind, with over 3,500 participants. If you want more info about that survey, jointly published with KPMG, simply email techtalkscio to info at harveynash.com and we'll make sure someone gets in touch. Welcome back to Tech Talks. It is time for some news for a couple of hand-picked articles, one from myself and one from Jack. Uh, yep. What have you got? Right, so uh, a while ago, what was it we were talking about with Walmart? They had... Um... They could have had those sensors on the trolley to tell if you're distressed, and then they'd send someone to come and help you. Oh yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So they've now they've now if they're now implementing AI cameras to spot thieves. Um, it's an article I picked up from the BBC. Um, so just so just to jump in, yep. I remembered that was tangent. It was Andy Everdale was talking about that. Okay. Doke. There we well, go. Well, sorry. Well, good memory. Just, no, just no, no. Back, just a big shout out for our, for our previous guest. That's all. Anyway, go on. No. Uh, yeah, so US supermarket giant Walmart has confirmed yeah. it uses image recognition cameras at checkouts to detect theft. The cameras identify when items are put in the shopping bag without first being scanned by a cashier or at the self-service checkout. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the cameras track items rather than people. If an item is spotted being put in a shopping bag before it's been scanned at the checkout, the system can call out to an employee, help. <laughs> so it's not quite, you know, AI robots rugby tackling rugby tackling you when you put something in your pocket but i guess that's kind of just giving more life to the self-service machines yeah i mean what about the honest mistakes when you know because i i have not often but once or twice realized that there's something in my bag that i haven't paid for i've gone back and paid for it but mm, i think that's more a test uh, more smirch on your character to be honest cheers jack i thought you know admitting it to thousands disgusting of podcast would have been a, a, a uh, to my character actually but no disgusting like, behavior like a robot screaming help i mean it's gonna make you feel awful if it is just a mistake say you just put something in there and you haven't really realized it <laughs> properly because say say you're say you're at waitrose right not uh, yeah no. i'm always at waitrose there there's definitely one in limehouse there is a reason right tesco's uh for example uh and co-op right and asda they yes. have the thing where you, you have to place the item in the bagging area. and if Not all the time now. Not all the time. They have got a it. new one where you don't have to, yeah. No, so Waitrose doesn't have that, which is why it's yeah. easier to make the honest mistake because you might think you've scanned it and not, and it, it doesn't wow. have the whole weight thing, which thankfully I, I find a massive benefit because the weight thing always goes wrong. It's shit. Yeah, the weight yeah. thing is always shit. Oh. Please remove for your bag. Well, look, this is everything. the way we're going. But this is the, look, this is the progress you want. You don't like the bagging area, so we're getting rid of the bagging area, and then we're just putting in AI just to say help when you've misscanned something or stolen something. I see this in the words of Bruce Banner as Hulk. I see this as a win. As long as it doesn't like combine in the future like a RoboCop element with the cashier. Oh well, that's the, the threat of AI everywhere, isn't it? Come on. <laughs> it doesn't even really sound like it's AI, to be honest. <laughs> if you think about it, that doesn't really sound like AI. Who's developed this? It's uh, not, it doesn't it's actually not a give any... It can't um, be a Walmart. Irish company Eversing. Um, yeah. Maybe Eversing want to come on the show and give us a bit more, because personally, I I don't know whether I think yeah. it's all that helpful. Get in touch with Eversing. They're only in Ireland. What do you mean, get in touch? I'll be listening. 
<laughs> no, not even a slight defence there of our Brandon Rich. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> moving on, I've got something from uh, The Verge. This is... Oh, you got to mix it up soon. I like The Verge. It's got some great stories. Yeah, I found The Verge and then you pillage it for all it's worth now. That means I have to go to places like the BBC for mine. Well, you can, you can go to... I'll send you some other ones. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Um, this one's great. You'll like this. A oh. robot duck could help yeah. Japanese rice farmers keep their paddy fields clear of weeds. I'm in. It's been built by Nissan, of all people. Oh. Right? An engineer working for Japanese car maker Nissan has built a robot alternative to paddy field ducks. As reported on Nippon.com and Nerdist, he's currently testing his prototype um, in the Yag- Yamagata prefecture of northeastern japan seems like it's just wow. a diy project at the moment no plans to commercialize or even any data on how effective it is but it's fascinating use of technology all the same i love this some guys yeah. just got out and built you know sod it you know wading through the paddy fields um tearing up so so ducks tear up weeds and snack on insects like i haven't got a problem putting ducks out of work like, I, I'm fine with ducks getting automated if it's helping. Um, but where are they? Do they, ducks, do they eat a lot of the weeds or anything like that? Like, if they're taking the food away, maybe they're not. It must be. I wouldn't imagine the ducks are missing out on much, to be honest. Well, you know, the duck can put his feet up now. For centuries, rice farmers in Asia have used ducks as a natural alternative to pesticides. That's good. Nice. While padding around the flooded paddy fields, duck tear up weeds and snack on insects, with their manure acting as additional first i suppose it's quite a good kind of biodiverse way of doing it like does this robot duck somehow shit um compost i don't know does it look like a duck as well no it it looks i'm trying to think it looks alarmingly like something from super mario brothers what does it look like you ask uh i already had a link prepped there wasn't a small amount of editing uh, needed whilst i found that <laughs> it does look uh, like no, a I, I, Mario. Right. Um, or like a. Like a Nintendo like the, the top ape of a Moomin? Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite specific. Okay. Yeah, no, it's kind of cute, but yeah, it's not, not duck. There's a video to watch of the robot in action. Unfortunately, there's no English subtitles to fully explain uh, what we're seeing. Well, isn't it kind of obvious? There's a robot going along doing what the duck used to do. You should watch the video. It's great. It's great. I don't know why you need subtitles. You don't need subtitles. The point is, there's this dude in Japan who's built a robot duck, and I love it. Put the link in the footnotes. People can go and watch this, this robo duck. It's got very upbeat music to go with the video as well. Um, I, d- I suppose the questions are, uh, does it deliver all the benefits of the ducks? And because um, it talks about having rubber brushes on the underside uh, that take the place of the duck's feet, which oxygenate the water. But, you know, we talked about the fact that the ducks shit everywhere and that's good for the... Um, that's good for And the- eat the insects. Yeah, and eat the insects. So, it, you know, until it kind of fully replaces the ducks, I'm sure that ducks everywhere will not be worrying about their livelihood. I don't think uh, our mallards have got anything to worry about. Well, they're nasty brutes. Yeah. Not very nice mallards. Mother- Mother Duckers. Yes. Very good, Jack. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I, 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 I like the idea of people just getting a bit of tech at, at the shed, 
you know. Yeah, why not? And building a building a robot to uh, what other robots could we build to, uh, you know, maybe we could have a robot donkey on the beach at Skegness to say that would be nice for the donkeys. Yeah, kids up and down the beach. That would be a good tech. Um, that would. You don't even have to worry about donkeys fertilizing the beach. You don't really. Mm, yeah, that's that's yeah. You don't want them shitting on the beach, really. No. Any other any other animals that are put to kind of manual labor effectively for human pleasure? Well, uh, mine mine's probably more scarecrow related. Just get something better than a scarecrow with tech. You know, I want to see something crazy. Be quite Robo easy. scarecrow. It'd be quite easy to make a scarecrow that just moved occasionally. Yeah, that's exactly. Not, that's not going to end up kind of cutting edge tech like the the Virgil the Beach. Well, it could move round and fertilize or whatever, and also just shoot birds out out of the sky. I mean, could be fun. You could put some AI on board to make it like genuinely like the Scarecrow and Wizard of Oz, which yeah. I watched yesterday for the first time in years because I read an article about how ev- right <laughs> there's, there's there's this quote, but I think it's one of the Coen brothers that the the every right. film ever made is an attempted remake of The Wizard of Oz, which just okay. sounds like one of those slightly wanky things that a filmmaker's going to say. Because, like, sorry, but I don't think Back to the Future is a remake of The Wizard of Oz. Sure. I don't think Full Metal Jacket is a remake of Wizard of Oz. I'm watching it. Well, no, well, he's talking about thematically, isn't there? There's only, <laughs> like, he, like, every story has an elite... Uh, what, how is it? I think it's... I studied this in media studies. It has an equilibrium, a disruption, and the resolution of the equilibrium, the non-equilibrium, if you will. And every story goes for that. And I suppose The Wizard of Oz does something that every other film follows. Come on, Dave, just get on board. It's not that way I give a thing to say. It's a little, it is a little bit. Basically, it's because it's the 80th birthday of The Wizard of Oz. Here you go. Joel Cohen once said, every movie ever made is an attempt to remake yeah. The Wizard of Oz. It's- He's probably right in some kind of weird little sense. I don't think he is. Anyway. Well, okay. So you're going you're gonna to go down the, the garden now, uh, get into your shed and start making an AI version of the Scarecrow? Well, if I had a garden shed, maybe, but I could uh, develop an AI to protect the tree. Well, what you could uh, do is you could build a tree house and have that as your tech shed. I wonder how the neighbours would find that. They might. Well, look, the tree's kind of closest to me in many ways, so... You know, yeah, it would be nice go. to get up there, make a little tech hub. Right, tech I, think, I think we probably rambled enough. Um, Anas, thank you for being our guest this week. Absolutely delightful uh, to yes. have you on the show. Awesome what Patchwork are trying to do. Um, Jack, thanks for taking the time on a Sunday afternoon. That's what we're doing with our weekend. We're making a podcast. Uh, See, and, our own passion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Tech Talks will be back with you on Thursday. Uh,